0: It's time to eat, drink, and be merry with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy. Hey, everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio's Third Friday Travel Writers Show with the International Food, Wine, Travel Writers Association. You can check them out at their website, ifwtwa.org. We call them IFTWA for short, uh, but it's an amazing organization that connects destinations and uh, travel writers, photographers, food, wine, travel writers as well. Uh, So it's a very cool place to visit. And we love these shows because we get to have either a panel discussion or a discussion with various writers about their favorite destinations. Today, we're going to be talking about taste of place, food, wine, all that good stuff. We're going to go around the world pretty much because our second part of today's show, we're going to chat with Debbie Stone, and she's going to tell us about her chocolate and cheese and croissant adventures all through Europe. But starting off now, our first guest today is Amanda O'Brien. She is known as the Boutique Adventurer. And you can go to her website, TheBoutiqueAdventure.com. And welcome to the show, Amanda. How are you? I'm great, Lisa. I'm thrilled to be here. Exciting to have you here. Uh, Nancy and I are currently um, located in Virginia for this week when we record this. And um, I know that's one of the destinations we're going to be chatting with you about today is the Monticello Trail in Virginia. We're going to talk about Washington State, another favorite place of ours, and Rioja in Spain. So, um, but let's, let's dial it back first and talk a little bit about your start into the food wine travel world. And um, so I know you've got a lot of websites, as as well as the boutiqueadventurer.com. But I know you're you started out life in Australia, right? And now you're in London, and then a whole bunch of places in between. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I started out life in Australia. There were a few years in the US as well when I was growing up, but I moved to London like 20 years ago. So London is home. Um, And I was always passionate about food and wine. My parents were very into food and wine, Uh, but I worked in marketing mostly, but I was a huge traveler. Uh, But about seven or eight years ago is when I started the boutique adventure when I was doing like a break between jobs and I sort of fell in love with it. Um, And yeah, it took me two or three years to get it up and running. Uh, And obviously COVID hit a little while after that. But yeah, everything is now up and working. And I write a lot about different places, mostly in Europe and North America. uh, And I love writing about food and wine, probably more than anything else.
0: So did the wine, because I mean, Australia's got amazing wine. I mean, oh, it
1: does. That's... Yeah, and so back like in my twenties, I visited a lot of the wine regions in Australia before moving oh, when I was thirty. So, um, I do always joke though that um, growing up in, in a new world wine region means I kind of like stronger, bolder taste. So sometimes you're, some European wines are a bit too subtle for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Be- well, that's going to be the old new uh, old world versus the new world wines, right? Um... Exactly. Exactly. They don't have as much alcohol content either. I'm just saying. I just was had a lesson <laughs> from a winemaker who told me that. I said, "Well, maybe that's got something to do with it." And she's like, "Not really." But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's interesting too. Uh, you know, South Africa—that's where uh, you know I, I grew up uh, in South Africa, and the wines over there. I always kind of put South Africa, New Zealand, and Australia together in in the wine world. Wouldn't you say they kind of? They could have their own, you know, distribution as one.
1: (laughs) They could, particularly, maybe not so much New Zealand because it's that bit bit cooler because it's more south, but definitely Australia and South Africa, like I love South Africa wines. I've been Mm. to Stellenbosch and a couple of the areas around, but there's certainly more places to go there. But I think particularly with a lot of the reds, there's like those kind of big, blousy, jammy, Mm. full-on, high-tannin reds that Mm. I love too.
0: Mm. what about Spain, Rioja? And everybody wants to go to Rioja just to say Rioja. I mean, exactly,
1: exactly. So let's start off wrong.
0: there because that's got to have, you know, because I know there's European, but Spain has got like a little spicy, like, you know, there's Tempranillos and all that good wine over there. So Rioja's got to be fun for wine. You've got great articles. And by the way, everyone in the show notes, um, you'll be able to see the links to. Amanda's articles and Debbie's articles and also once we get everything up on our site on blendradioandtv.com we'll link everything but you will find these stories right on her website theboutiqueadventurer.com so Rioja tell us a little bit about that adventure because there's the wine but then it's got to also go with the food I'm feeling like it's
1: like light-hearted you know well but- it is and you know the funny thing was Lisa it's not very touristed um, which I really, you know, it's such a big name, Rioja, right? Where, mm-hmm. And it just didn't feel like it was massively a huge tourist spot, like, you know, being in Venice or anything like that. So basically Rioja has got two main towns, Haro and Legrono, Uh, And Haro is like a hilltop, super cute town. Uh, and what's great about Haro is you can literally walk down the hill 10 minutes uh, and five of the major wineries of Rioja have got huge tasting rooms there um, because it's right next to what used to be the railway. So they used to store wine there. And they've also got restaurants, things like that. And as you mentioned, Tempranillo is the key grape um, of Rioja. Uh, And in Rioja, there's four different ratings on wine, on red and whites, depending for how long they've been cellared and in some cases bottled. Um, So they're quite strict with all the rules. And they've got to be put into American oak as well, interestingly. Mm. Not French oak, American oak. Um, Food-wise, the second town of Rioja is called La and I don't know if you've ever been to San Sebastian uh, and no. enjoyed their pin- oh, their Pintos streets, which are great little bars. So Lagrono has got a couple of streets that are pedestrianised and they are filled with these like little bars that you go to. And like one bar will be famous for its mushrooms and another bar will be famous for its Patatas Bravas uh, and all these different bars and you get little grasses of Rio wine as you go everywhere. And you'll see everything there from small children in diapers to old people being helped uh, walk along. It's got the most wonderful wonderful atmosphere um and the food is amazing and dirt cheap like dirt cheap and you'll get an awesome meal yeah see that's what it was like living in mexico
0: you had these Mm. i mean insanely amazing meals that you'll never get again you know Mm. what i mean it just they because like the moles were always a you know go back two days later and sorry now you're getting this you know what was there was there and it's like it's it's the same thing as when you find a really good wine and then. You know, it's going to go away. Like it, you just, it's, it's, that's the beauty of food and wine, right? Is that it's like this, Exactly, it's like temporary art. You better savor every bite and sip. It's temporary because exactly you can't get it again.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even, I mean, a lot with wine obviously depends on the region, but you know, there's a lot of key wine regions like Bordeaux where there's such big changes in the climate every year and the weather that you never know kind of what you're going to get, which is why they have to blend. But it also kind of makes it exciting to figure out like, oh, what's different and unique in this vintage versus that vintage and what's going on. And, you know, it helps you understand that nature's role in all of this, plus then give you more of a sense of place. I think about that wine region and help understand it better.
0: Mm, I like that and so going over from Rioja because and looking on the the pictures on your side and everything it's just like it seems so colorful too like are you they they like to have fun it sounds like over there oh my god
1: absolutely and I said so passionate about their food and of course the wine um and there's some amazing modern architecture there as well like Frank Geary you know has done what has um built a hotel and winery there, which is just every color of the rainbow in these modern moving sort of pieces of steel. And it's just one of those things where your, your mouth drops when you see it against the countryside. Um, mm. So yeah, it's quite interesting there where they've also got this whole architectural level as well as the wine itself.
0: Mm. So, okay. So we go from Spain and you were just there. I mean, that was this year, right? That you were there.
1: Last Last, year, but it was like June, July. So yeah. So all all three places we're going to talk about today I've been to in the last 12 months. Yeah.
0: Nice. Nice. And so let's, let's go over to Charlottesville, Virginia. So we're in Virginia Mm. right now and Charlottesville, unfortunately uh, when you hear Charlottesville, Virginia, we think politically of some really horrible things that happen, but let's Mm. turn the other side of the positive is wine. And, um, I think more people need wine in the world. I'm just gonna say. But Virginia, oh. I mean, Virginia has all these trails. Like there's the Virginia Creeper Trail where they you just go down this highway and it it's like you're in it's it yeah, it is kind of swampy actually. But Virginia is an incredibly beautiful and and diverse state. You know what I mean? It's just so um mm. Yeah, there. I mean, in the wineries, now I have to say, we have not done Virginia wineries. So now I'm feeling like talking with you, I'm going to have to run out to the wine store here. And oh, definitely. Find out.
1: There are several wine regions in Virginia, but the oldest one is the Monticello Trail, which is because Thomas Jefferson, actually, when he was in France as US ambassador, he actually brought over some vines because he thought the climate around Monticello um, would be perfect for grape growing. And he was actually right, but the thing is he brought the wrong varieties with him and they didn't (laughs) really know what to do. So they actually did plant them, but nothing really ended up happening uh, until a guy called Gabriel Rouse, an Italian, came to the region in the 1970s and he was the one that then started matching up varieties with the climate basically and the the terroir to say these grapes will do well here for these reasons. Uh, And that is when Virginia wine really kind of got going.
0: Mm. Now, I like that you went to Loving Cup Winery because it's one of my favorite <laughs> Rolling Stone songs.
1: <laughs> hey, and it's organic. It's an organic winery as well. And I mean, I think that's a big difference when you see is the new world and including America in is there's so much innovation that happens in wine. But in Europe, in most regions, they can't be that innovative because there's too many restrictions. Because there's all these rules on, hey, you can't say it's a Rioja wine unless it's been an American oak. Yeah, you, know, you can't call it this unless it's been aged for this long. You know, these are the only grapes that can only be Tempranillo. Mm-hmm. Whereas what's exciting is when you go to the U.S. or Australia or South Africa, they're just like using every kind of grape. They're like, we're just going to give this a go and see what happens. And let's try this. And we're not oh, going to. That be- is so
0: South African. What you just said. Oh, let just. Yeah. Give it- it go that's so like british south africa yeah that you're on that side of the world that's it i love that because it's i love that um spirit of just give it a go and and we need to have that but then you say the other side is here's all these rules it has i just spain and having it to have an american oak is just still blowing my mind you know i know saying that
1: because it gives it it's usually American oak it gives it it's a stronger effect on the taste profile versus French oak which is usually a bit more subtle um but yeah with that and but what they, I noticed like when I'm in the U.S. then th- that the wineries themselves there'll be a lot more differences versus when you're in wine regions in Europe where there'll be mm-hmm. a lot more in common across them so so the, you know in the U.S. you'll be going like you know in Washington State which i will talk about in a the middle there's one winery Treveri that just is just doing sparkling you know, and sparkling mm-hmm. reds, whites, all sorts of different things with it. Um, so you can kind of, people will do anything. So you get a lot more variation when you're looking to travel and visit visit vineyards in an area. Ah, you know where we
0: are right now, um, we're mm-hmm. right outside George Washington's distillery. Ooh. Just because you're talking about Thomas Jefferson. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when we had to get to where we we're going and we we're like, hey, we want to go to the distillery. And it's kind of more a little touristy now, apparently, from our friends here that told us about it. But they said, you know, he did actually have a distillery. So now people have done something with it, but you can actually see the remnants or a replica of his distillery that he originally had. Oh, wow. Had. Is that That's not fantastic. cool? Yeah,
1: it's very yeah.
0: cool. I mean, it's kind of, it's it's so weird to be on this because we were always on the west side of the country. And to be mm. now completely on the eastern side and like up, right. It's like this whole other feeling of what America is about versus being on the West or like LA or Arizona and and all of that. It's, it's completely, it's really, it's, I don't know. It's it's very it's older in regards to Mm. colonial architecture, that kind of thing. Obviously, not our indigenous people. They're they're way older than anything um, that we talk about in history, uh, human history here. But um, it's just so different. And so when you hear like you're saying about Thomas Jefferson, and you know, then like here's George Washington, who also brought hemp. Mm. (laughs) Like you know George, (laughs) but he's a happy dude. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but it's kind of interesting how these people just started bringing things over, you know, from different yes, places. Absolutely. Did that happen in Australia, do you think, too? Oh,
1: yeah. No, absolutely. Because, you know, it's most of the vineyards in Australia, like everybody's basically vines come from France to begin with. You know, that's kind of, that's how most people get everything started. And a lot of it is all around Being inspired Mm. by Europe, but then bringing it back and going, okay, so now we've been inspired by that, but what can we do with our local ingredients, with our local terroir, with our local climate, what can our take be on it, which is when Mm. it gets quite exciting and innovative, as I said, you know, earlier, because also there's so much more freedom um, in those countries versus when you're in Europe where things are sort Mm. of done in a certain way in many cases when it comes to food and wine.
0: Yeah, because they kind of have to keep their heritage and tradition. If they started it, you don't want to lose it all. You know what I mean? Well,
1: also, they've built, they've built these amazing brands. Like, you know, you think about champagne, for goodness sakes, yeah, and Bordeaux. Yeah. And that part of that, if you're, you know, my marketing background, if you're going to, if you're offering up a brand, you need a level of consistency. You know, people are got buying into that brand because they think they know what they're getting so you have to stick to those rules and also they've built up such a name for themselves if you open it up too much and change it you're going to risk upsetting a lot of people uh, and potentially really damaging that brand so you know i just it's just kind of different i don't think one is better or worse because they've got more fame so to speak than some of these other regions like you know the monticello trail that's what they've got it they're obviously a lot older it just presents different opportunities and different challenges
0: right and um, I want to go to London. You're in London now. You're based mm-hmm. out of there. In um, England, you know, what is blowing my mind that England is now becoming and uh, producing wine. And oh I never gosh, thought yeah. that would and happen. Good wine.
1: Really? I know. Well, it is kind of mm, global warming, but yeah. Um, but even I was in Champagne last summer and visiting the vineyards. That's even the French are talking about English English wine, particularly English sparkling. Um, and actually, the French are even buying a plant in the south of England uh, to have the land and for, from a global warming sort of point of view um, to get that going. So there's some really exciting stuff happening with sparkling in England, but mm. at the moment it's still relatively, you know, it's it's not cheap. It's relatively expensive um, mm. because obviously the production, the volumes aren't there yet, but it's mm. growing at quite a pace and the quality is is excellent.
0: Okay so what's happening in regard to food pairings in with England wines cuz now I'm thinking we lived in England for about a year and a half two years I think it was when I was a kid but I'm like I'm going back to and we've done a lot of interviews on food of England so I know you're not going to get like certain like here's your mince pie or whatever <laughs> or I mean I mean what are you going to what when you think about British food and then British wines you've got to kind of keep that integrity there right so I mean are we doing this but Americans kind of do the charcuterie board and, and that kind of thing, right? But when you well, the get perfect, to England,
1: line, yeah, the, the perfect pairing is English sparkling with fish and chips, because the high acidity really? cuts through the salt and the fat. So with the salt of the that, yeah. So it's it's a perfect pairing of the two. Um, so yeah, you can. It's quintessentially English sparkling wine, and and obviously sparkling wine is also really nice with afternoon tea. Uh, it really does suit a good scone or scone um, and some tra- And it is traditionally served a glass of sparkling with, with afternoon tea.
0: Okay, so I know people that uh, will actually pair with hot, uh, not hot dogs, corn dogs, white wines with corn dogs.
1: Oh, so, yeah, I mean, look at, yeah, it's all about, so basically, I mean, the saltier that the food is, it'll bring out, salty food brings out a lot of flavors in wine. Um, so okay, it can actually wow. improve the wine and the, the yeah.
0: Now, would you put malt vinegar on the fish and chips if you're drinking wine or champagne with it?
1: Oh, like,
0: I personally don't like
1: malt vinegar. So that's a different. question. Oh my God, question, are you kidding usually... me? You're there. <laughs>
0: How could you not
1: have malt vinegar? Oh no, you're killing me. But oh. because it is quite acidic, I would say it would actually help because you'd have the salt and the acid then going together, which should bring out the, the, the sparkling sugars. even more. Mm, Ooh. Yeah. Now, do you eat Marmite? Do you eat Marmite? This is a well. You're asking an Australian because in Australia, it's all about Vegemite. Yeah, Vegemite, Um, Marmite. So I do. I will have Marmite on occasion if I feel like it, and Vegemite's not available. But given the choice between the two, it would always be Vegemite.
0: Okay, but you're doing that, so that's 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 important. I'll let you go on the malt vinegar since you eat Vegemite. (laughs) It's important. (laughs) And listen, Absolutely. if you have too much wine the next morning, toast and, and marmite <gasps> or Vegemite what, helps. Vegemite on
1: toast is, yeah, it's, it's, a it's, it's awesome for uh, for difficult mornings after.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like the extra wine head, when you're wine headed in the morning, let's put it that way. Yes. Yes. It, it, yeah, it does everything for you. Um, mm. All right. So let's go to Washington State in England, because mm. it's kind of interesting going from Virginia to Washington State, because they're kind of similar you know they're just completely opposite sides of the country but it does have that lush and just the weather is a little it's interesting but they had volcano stuff happening and ice ages and you know they had all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff happening and i love that you you went we've been to some of the areas that you went to as well in washington oh, yeah. state mm-hmm. did it remind you of england at all being out there
1: not overly, and I mean, interestingly, where the wineries are is obviously kind of lower ground and warmer, like Yakima Oh, Valley yeah, and that's Walla, right. Yeah, the other side. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of into, and those. That's kind of there's also like all around the Columbia River area. There's several wine areas, but that and the Tri Cities are kind of probably the best known. So, so the grapes themselves are out there, but the great thing they're doing in Washington is really embracing tasting rooms so even if you're just in Seattle and you don't have a lot of time there's actually Soto Urban Works for example where it's I think it's seven or eight of Washington's wineries have just got little tasting rooms there so if you don't have much time you can still go there and try some Washington wine Uh, and then there's Woodenville, which is Mm. about 40 minutes from downtown Seattle which is filled with wine rooms as well as a few vineyards like Chateau St. Michelle, which is the biggest and the original big wine producer in the Washington um, state area. So you can even go there as a day trip and try loads of wine. Um, So I think they're doing a really good job in Washington that no matter how much time you have and what you can do, you've kind of got a wine option. Or you can get a car and drive the three hours, you know, and head to Walla Walla or to the Tri-Cities or Yakima Valley and then have the whole winery experience.
0: Yeah, I like the winery experience, especially too, because it's so beautiful driving out there. And you're right, going, oh, you know, mm-hmm. Eastern, it does get like hotter, you know, it's got a hotter summer than you will get off on the coastal areas. And so it, they have, I, you know, Malbecs and Morvedres that come out of that
1: area are incredible. Yeah. Um, and this, the Syrah is their big grape in Washington mm. state there. It's all about, that's what they're known for having is really, really good Syrahs. But they also had some, I mean, I'm a little bit more of a white drinker than red, but they had some great whites as well there. And as I said, there's, there's mm-hmm. a, it's, it's very creative uh, with trying different grapes and trying different methods, um, which is really fun to go and find out like, right, what are you doing? What's, what's different here? Which is what I always want to know is, you know, the writer is what do you do that's special and unique? You know, what are you best known for? Um, Because that's ultimately writing about wine for me. I'm not really writing for sommeliers. I'm writing for people that like wine that are going to come to an area and would like to try and go, right, if I'm going to visit three or four wineries, which one should I visit that I'll probably like the wine? Or Mm. if I really like sparkling, I should go to this one. I mean, that's who I'm writing for is, help them organize their time. So however much time they've got, go, right, these ones are close together or these ones, if you really love a big blousy red, this is where you need to go um, so that people can figure out what's going to delight them on their trip.
0: I love that you went to La Col. Um, La Cole. i I'm never going to say oh, it Oh, right. yeah, the Number Col, 41. Yeah, La Col. They've yeah, been on Col. our show from Walla Walla and, and they sent us for our anniversary last year, our magazine turned mm-hmm. 25 and radio show 15 years. Mm-hmm. And then we had a whole lot in our tours 10 years of traveling full- time and so they sent us um wines that signified each um year so we had a 25 year old wine a 10 year old and a 15 year old wine oh they my were gosh, so sweet to do idea. yeah they were so sweet and just the wines are incredible in the history of it mm. you know with it being part of a schoolhouse I think some of yeah. these wineries like getting some of that history is really cool to me too but they've yeah, got, they've got good soil. Just- Oh, yeah. and the
1: schoolhouse is great. I've been there, you know, for a tasting. Oh. And you, you, you go up on the first floor and they've got an outdoor space. So you can kind of see out. And you can tell you're in an old schoolhouse, right? They haven't – they've modernized it, of course. But you can still feel like you're in a schoolhouse when they're doing it. Um, so it's a great spot. It's, it's literally almost the first winery you hit when you drive into Walla Walla. It's like hole 41. But yeah, it's, oh, it's a really man. good one. Mm.
0: And I saw that you went to Pike Place Market. Uh, when you were yes.
1: there. I li- so believe it or not, I actually lived in Seattle for three years when I was a teenager. Oh, okay. Uh, way back when. And I used to love going to Pike Place Market. That was my favorite thing to do. Um, so it was great to go back. And I did a fantastic food tour there. Uh, and interestingly, there were a couple of places I remembered that were still there, uh, which is pretty amazing. Like oh, 35 years or something later. But what a place. I mean, it's just fantastic. I got fish thrown over my head, you know, had all truffles and had lots of amazing food experiences. It's such a wonderful place.
0: What, what is some of the like craziest food you've eaten?
1: Cause you've been to what, over 70 countries? Yeah, no, I've just hit 80, actually, I'm proud to oh, say. well, excuse um, me. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now you're really stuck because I will I will pretty much try everything. Um, so I have eaten whale, definitely up in Norway. I have tried that, which I didn't really like, um, but I sort of felt like I needed to do it. Yeah, um, that's, that's like doing ludifists. Well, and obviously, no. as Australian, I've eaten kangaroo several times. Oh, wow. Um, which, again, and with a lot of these things, it all depends on how it's cooked. Um, mm. So if a good chef is making it, uh, usually they can kind of make anything taste pretty good.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mm. think so because it's so different the me. It's like, you know, everyone's started getting into bison here in this country, oh, okay. which makes sense because it mm. is actually kind of, you know, American buffalo, and mm. um, but it's grass-fed. And so yeah. it's not the same as cooking beef. That's completely different. And so – it took, it's taken a while for all of us to learn how to do that, you know, that it cooks differently. It's just like eating something that's, you know, not factory farmed Mm. versus something that, you know, an animal that's cage, cage free, excuse me. Mm. And it's just different. The fat and everything's different because the animals aren't in how they're eating is different, you know, so um, how you cook it is, is to be different as well. So it's kind of an interesting thing, but traveling, I think you. I think the importance is food and wine really tells you, or or even distilleries, etc., breweries, tells mm. you about the taste of the land and the cultures. Do you find that in travel? That, oh, um, absolutely!
1: It's my favorite thing. It's like learning about the food and the wine gives you such an insight into a city or a country or an area because you've got to, you then get a feel for the climate. What What's the land like? And then the, the wine will influence what kind of food they have. The food will influence what kind of wine they have, you know, what they eat will influence what they're like. And based on, you know, whether it's a warm culture or a cold culture in terms of that climate. And I think you kind of get, underneath it, plus all the stories that go along with food and wine and how mm. things got developed and what worked and what didn't. And, you know, it really brings to life a destination.
0: Yeah. And now um, let's talk about your next, des- what was your last, very last destination?
1: My last destination was Malta in Europe. Ooh, <gasps> yeah okay, what did a you eat hit- rabbit a lot of rabbit, no, They're very rabbit there. i know i know bunnies i felt a bit the same way but it was like oh this needs and a-. it's and around easter there. time <laughs> i know i know it was so wrong um but they've also they've got uh, a really interesting version of pizza they do called ftira, um which are like these little sort of pizzas that they make which are absolutely delicious um so, yeah, that was an interesting food destination because they're not that far from North Africa, but obviously they're, they're mm. closer to Europe. So you've got a lot of interesting influences going on there. Oh, um, I love
0: that. I love mm. that kind of food too because, like, I love, like, Nor- Oh, I, I'll eat anything from Africa pretty much, well, not everything, but um, I have done weird things, but. Uh, that sounds bad, too. I've eaten <laughs> weird things from Africa. Let's put it that way. But I I don't know. There's something just so, I don't know. The food is just so, like, relaxed. I don't know. Like a, a, a pizza, you know, they used to say pizza where we were um, mm-hmm. in South Africa. It was it still cracks me up to this day. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Do you say that in Australia? Don't tell me you say no, pizza. No, we say dude.
1: pizza. 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 It's like got like a long vowel to it. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> oh my gosh, but where are you going next? So uh, I'm actually off to Florida and Texas next. Oh, cool. So yeah, I'm going to be in Tampa and nice. St. Petersburg next week. And then Beautiful. the week after in San Antonio and then in oh. Austin Hill Country. And I'm going to be trying some Texas wine, which I'm really excited about.
0: Oh, and it is good. It is good. And San Antonio, yeah. you've got that Riverwalk area. Um, yep, oh, that's you're going to have I'm a staying. wonderful time.
1: Yeah, nice. it's an awesome trip. I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Well, welcome back to the States. I'll just say that now. <laughs> Thank so, you. Yeah, I'm so glad we caught you, all, you know, before, you know, in between flights here. Um, oh, before thanks. you go, how long have you been part of IFTWA? I always want to touch on that. Because oh, uh, I think yeah, it's important to have these organizations.
1: Oh so do I. So I'm a new member. I just joined this year. Um I d- didn't really know about them. So I'm so right now they've actually what's terrific is they're getting together a group of us that are outside the US who are kind of doing some calls to say how could this best work for people outside the US. Um but I'm actually going on their big conference in October. So I'm super oh, excited. Sweet. Yeah, oh. so it's gonna—it's like a wine cruise. They've got like there's lots of wine involved. Um, so yeah, that'll be a great opportunity then to get to meet loads of people and to really get a better understanding of how it works. And as I said it's really cool that they're taking note of overseas members and saying, right, how can we adjust to you know make yeah. this a good situation for you? So yeah, well, I know
0: they—they they were very very strong in Australia for uh, you know a number of years and. I mean, we've watched the organization grow over the years, and it's it's amazing what they've done. And, and during COVID, how they stood up and kept doing webinars and still connecting writers with destinations, with wineries, you know, all of that. I think that is mm. fantastic. And so everyone, uh, that cruise is open for members and non-members it is in October and you get to cruise from Vancouver down to Southern California. I think that's pretty darn cool. So go to oh, ifwtwa.org. Uh, we will have a show just dedicated to the cruise and the conference, I should say, to the conference, but it's also networking. And I think writers do need to hang out together and learn from each other and help each other. And that's something we've also seen with the members of, of IFTWA that, people help each other. Hey, we're going here. Do you know anybody here? Oh, yeah, you need to check this person out, meet that person, you know, because everybody travels. And if everyone can help each other, it just makes the world better. The more we travel, the better we all are in all kinds of ways. And the more food we get to eat and wine we get to drink. So I'm just saying. (laughs) So Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. I do want to tell everybody that you do have some other websites too. The discerningcat.com. Go if you're like Nancy and I are all into this. The snobs.com. This is fun. Mm-hmm. And mm. then if you want to geek out and go down rabbit holes, go see, but don't eat the
1: rabbits. Yeah, you've got your
0: new interesting facts website. Oh my gosh. That's I wrong. think so. That's gonna be cool as you travel. Is that how you find out about your different, you know, what? Wor- you know all the fun facts from the travels or are you geeking out and going down rabbit holes like well it's kind of a computer? mix
1: yeah yeah so I started the do- the cat and the dog ones during lockdown um so that's obviously when travel was slow and I started the facts one then as well so the facts one has a lot of crossover with the travel side where it's interesting facts about different places but um with that one facts one, I do a lot of psychological facts and history facts as well So it's kind of nice to have like a portfolio uh, and some, you know, different things that you can write. But travel is like my passion. So that's kind of my baby, my biggest one. Yeah, but you find out so much.
0: But history, I mean, that's the thing. When travel, you can go to a museum and see like, oh, this is where they did plug this into someone's brain. Or, you know. Exactly. You see the the facts come to life through travel, you know, and that's the beauty. So. Everyone, that website is newinterestingfacts.com. Thank you so much, Amanda. Everyone, ifwtwa.org is a website. Keep up with us at bigblendradio.com. But stay tuned because Debbie Stone is next. And Debbie uh, is going to be telling us about cheese and chocolate. Oh, my. Thanks, Amanda.
1: Thank you so much, Lisa. That was really fun.
0: Hey, everybody, it is time for part two of our Big Blend Radio Third Friday Travel Writers Show with the International Food One Travel Writers Association. As you know from listening to part one, today's episode is all about a taste of place. And our second guest is travel writer, Debbie Stone. I know you've heard her on Big Blend Radio for quite a while. In fact, I believe we actually met her through the International Food Wine Travel Writers Association. She came on a show talking about her adventures in the Sea of Cortez in Mexico. And from there, we're like, hey, let's all have fun and talk travel. And uh, she's an amazing writer. She has traveled the world and all over this country. Even during the pandemic, um, she found out how to get into parks, be safe, and keep traveling. And so I encourage you to check out her articles on blendradio and tv.com and also nationalparktraveling.com. So welcome back, Debbie. How are you? I'm going to call you Fire Monkey because we always do. <laughs> Not getting away from it just because we're on a different episode, right? <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for that. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like, okay. <laughs>
2: So anyway, I'm I'm doing well. I'm, I'm doing very well. Happy to be happy to be here talking.
0: Yeah, talking about a taste of place. And listen, if you've met Debbie, like we got a time to we had time with her a few years ago, right before the pandemic, where we went to Santa Fe, where she was based out is based out of. And um, but you were also docenting at the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum. And she took us around the gallery and museum. And um, so we got to meet her. But when you read all her stories and all of the food and wine she consumes around the world and across the country, Debbie, how do you do it and stay so trim and like healthy? (laughs) Like, what is it? Is this a monkey thing? Like, is this swinging trees to keep fit? What are you doing? Because I mean, we're about to talk about a whole bunch of food. (laughs) You know, I think tasting
2: uh, small portions and then being as active as you can and doing, you know, walking as much as you can. So that's why I really like, um, those wonderful walking food tours because, you know, they combine both my passions, which is, you know, food as, as well as, as being active and getting out there and enjoying and exploring an area. So, uh, yeah, I always kind of gravitate towards. Food tours, if I can, just because it's a great introduction to a, a city or a town. And usually, you you know, you've got somebody local, a local guide leading you. And, uh, yeah, it gives you a great introduction, a great orientation.
0: Actually, one of the coolest food tours we went to was in Santa Fe, Nancy and I. When we met you, I think we did it at the very end of our trip. And I honestly believed we should have done it at the beginning of our trip, other than our beginning was with you. So that was cool. But you know what I mean? Because I yeah. felt like... On the food tour, we got an understanding of the history and the culture and the people. right? And I think because Santa Fe is so diverse, right, in history with, you know, European, Spanish, Indian, um, Indian indigenous, Native American peoples, and uh, Mexican, right? And so when you blend all these cultures together, that means you've got amazing food but was going to all the different restaurants and understanding what pasoli is, which is something you may not get in Europe, or maybe you do. I don't know from what I heard. No, (laughs) but then all of a sudden we were at at a coffee chocolate shop and drinking Aztec and Mayan, you know, elixirs. And Oh, that was amazing. Um, And then there's Frito pie touristy stuff. And then a lot of margaritas. I'm like, this is, this is not your, you know, even the pizza is different. Um, but I, I it's we've got the basis truly, it, of the yeah, people. It is, yeah, it is truly um when you're talking about taste of
2: place, I mean this is a you know, a great town for for that combination of the foods from those different groups and the people that have settled here and who live here. But, you know, it's the town of Chile. I mean, well, New Mexico is the the state of Chile and, you know, that's on every menu so much of it. And as well as, you know, all those dishes you mentioned and the margaritas, which is, you know, we have this whole margarita trail. We also have a green cheeseburger trail that you can go through the entire state. I mean, you know, they've created all these wonderful... I didn't know um, that. Nuanced food trails for people to, to do at their leisure when they come and visit. And, uh, you know, the food tour in Santa Fe, there's also, you know, restaurant tours, there's chocolate tours, there's all sorts of, Tours here because you know it does. Like I said, it combines thing that things that people, the visitors, really love, which is you know the food of the place, the wine of the place, or the drink of the place, and then the place itself. And so mm. you get a whole nice melding of the cultural, the cultural influences with with the food. And so um, they're very popular here, and uh, you know. So I, I mean, I love living in a, a foodie town. I mean. Who
0: wouldn't? <laughs> well, you also <laughs> talked about, and you, we did, you've got an article on the Margarita Trail, and everyone, Debbie's articles are, they said, on both sites, blendradio and tv.com um, and nationalparktraveling.com. But in the show notes, just like Amanda's, um, everything will be linked in the show notes, no matter if you're listening on Spotify or YouTube or Google Podcasts, wherever, wherever you're listening from, just look in the show notes and I'll have the links there. Um, but the Santa Fe, just before we move on to other food tours, Santa Fe, you also and you know you know Georgia O'Keeffe's art really well as a as a docent there, but you did a cooking class. It Was that a Santa Fe cooking school? And then they just themed that class about Georgia O'Keeffe. Didn't she have a book of her recipes or something like that? So I'm just going Correct. off the back it of is, my head. Yeah,
2: yeah, it is the Santa Fe cooking school, and they do a themed um, O'Keeffe oriented or themed uh, class, which basically takes uh, a number of her recipes and, you know, creates them and then you get to taste them. But um, it's wonderful because, you know, it also interweaves the whole story of O'Keefe and her time in in uh, New Mexico and how she was influenced Um by uh, growing, growing her own food. Uh, she was an organic, you know, gardener before anybody else was, so to speak. And uh, so yeah, so it's a really great, uh, the cooking is wonderful, but it's really nice because they have these classes that do uh, hone in on uh, the people and the place.
0: That's it, the people and the place. And like you say, if you can walk, that's even better. Like I remember with Pike's Place, uh, Pike's Market, is, why do I want to call it, Is it Pike's Place? I always want to call it that, Pike's Market. It's it's Maybe. called Pike Place. It's called Pike Place Market. Okay, yeah, it's yes. Pike's Peak that I get all, and you've been there too. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know, but um, and and, and and yeah, and Pike Place Market is another food tour I've done, which is amazing and wonderful as well. And you know, giving you the samples of of Seattle and of being on that Pacific Rim and the influences there, and of course, you know, the whole coastal area with fish and seafood and and all of that. But yeah, I mean, that's why I just think, you know, when towns have food tours, I just, I totally hone in on that. It's, to me, it's just a wonderful, like I said, a wonderful introduction.
0: And you went to the ice cream museum, and you know, I got a notification (laughs) on LinkedIn about the ice cream museum looking for some kind of marketing person. And I'm like, Debbie, (laughs) let's go. Let's both go so we can go have another, another scoop of ice cream. But you got to make your own ice cream. And that's the other thing. I think the food tours bring out the kid, the kid part of us as adults, because it, there's some kind of element that's fun. Like the ice cream tour, I think you got to make your own ice cream or name one. And that makes yeah, we something. Got to name it. Re-
2: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Make, don't you feel like a little bit of a kid again? Cause you know, you're not supposed to have that extra scoop, but you do <laughs> like you wanted the gelato <laughs> on the Venice food tour. Yes. Yeah. You know,
2: Same, I mean, yes, I, I do think it is. I think it's, it's a very playful way of, of, uh, of, uh, of an activity that for, for adults, as well as for, you know, kids and families and everything. But I think it's just, you know, fascinating from an adult perspective, the historical context to all that, you know, and even with the ice cream museum, the, the history of ice cream, you know, and ice cream worldwide, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I anything regarding food is going to have some sort of, historical context to it which is fascinating for people
0: yeah it's the history of humans you know civilization because as soon as we started farming that was the beginning of civilization like okay we're going to start populating in this way now we're going to have to start putting walls around our you know farm and all of that kind of stuff you know or fences it Absolutely. just got different it really changed everything and you really do learn this so i mentioned venice and that was like you were on the city of canals and so that is like i think on everyone's bucket list to go to venice and we're watching all these things about venice and the flooding and like we're all like watching i not all i don't know if all of us but you know what i mean we're all kind of like hoping the city remains intact through what's happening through climate change. When you were there, what was that like? What did you get any sense of people worrying about it or are they just used to this flooding and going away? Or were you uh, really more focused think, on the gelato? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I think in the back of, I mean, yes, it's it's all omnipresent there. Um also, Venice has is a problem with the overcrowding. Um, mm-hmm. You know, during during different times of the year. Um, what it was nice about this food tour, what what got attracted me was that you got off the main kind of touristy areas of the city, and you you saw a more peaceful side to the town, and you walk through very quiet areas, which hard to believe, but you know when everybody is congregated around St. Mark's Square and the harbor area, you know, it's just, it's massive amounts of people. But when you get off, just 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 get off a couple blocks from that area and all of a sudden it's pretty peaceful. And so this was a street food tour and it was wonderful because, you know, we went into cheese shops and meat shops and there was oils and vinegars and wines and, you know, mm-hmm. they have Venetian tapas and, you know, we went to these little, these like uh, little pubs, the Italian pubs, and we had, all certain types of tapas that were, I don't know, just they were fascinating. Little samples of everything, you know, crostinis with, with sardines, with shrimp, with zucchini, with roasted pumpkin, with everything you can think of. And these oversized little sandwiches and then lots of wonderfully baked bread and pastries. And then, you know, the, the very proverbial uh, Aperol spritzes and, you know, gelato, of course. Absolutely, you cannot go to any place in Italy without trying the gelato. At least I can't. And so, yeah, it was it was great because the, it was a once again a very local guide. She knew a lot about the the town. She knew a lot about the history, and she tied in mm-hmm. so seamlessly in with the food, and it was it was wonderful. She was a, an incredibly very. Um, vivacious woman when i remember this and and it was she made the tour very fun and very interesting and delicious as well
0: so switzerland is a destination i want to talk about because i know you went to the top of europe and everyone um that article is in the latest issue of vacation station magazine and um the top of europe and you've done yeah i mean you did kayaking in italy you've done you did this whole there was like your big um adventure back into Europe after COVID, the pandemic and all the right. lockdowns and all of that, you're like, yippee, I'm off and <laughs> I'm kayaking, dang it. And I'm going to go to the top of Europe and then I'm going to eat some cheese and chocolate on a train. So tell, tell us about this cheese. And ch- I mean, seriously, again, like, you know, did you ride right on the top of the train like after this? But cheese and chocolate of Switzerland, that is an- another bucket list I mean isn't that one of the first things we think about that other than the Swiss Alps and um absolutely you know, the sound absolutely. of music is absolutely is chocolate.
2: chocolate and chocolate and, and cheese uh you know it it says uh, the tour was really interesting because it talked about how each swiss person probably eats around 26 pounds of chocolate a year <laughs> And, you know, they talked about how, you know, chocolate is, uh, you know, all the different kinds of the chocolate makers and the history of the chocolate. And so, you know, you ride this train and then you go tour a chocolate factory in Brock and then you go uh, to the Gruyere uh, factory and you learn about their cheese. And then you visit the medieval village of Gruyere and you have more cheese there. If you want fondue, you, you know, do whatever you want. But it's like, it's all about cheese and chocolate, which are two of my favorite things. If I have to say food, it's going to be cheese and chocolate, especially good cheese and good chocolate.
0: Oh, <laughs> and I want fondue, you know? Oh God, because... that
2: fondue was, was incredible. I mean, it was just like, you know, you're dipping that crusty bread into, mm. this, you know, bubbling Gruyere cheese fondue. And then there's, you know, they serve like um, boiled potatoes in there. And, you know, I mean, it, <sighs> it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's so good. I mean, it's just.
0: And then there's wine. You have to have wine. Of course. Of course. Oh my gosh. So you ride the rails with cheese and chocolate.
2: Yep. Yep. What was the scenery like?
0: What was the scenery?
2: Oh yeah. You know, the typical Swiss, Swiss, Swiss countryside scenery, you know, which is gorgeous. You know, it's, it's mountainous. It's all the little villages. It's it's picturesque, you know. Mm. You, you just you can see Heidi running through the, you know, the woods. Oh man. You know. So yeah, it's just it's it's the best. And uh Switzerland is one of my favorite countries just because uh of the scenery but also, you know, the chocolate and the cheese.
0: Well, I it's know that also, you know, you we're going to talk about Paris, and we are going to talk about more chocolate and cheese because we're going to go talk about Oregon. We'll talk a little bit more about our adventures across America because but, you know, Debbie FM, Fire Monkey, <laughs> she's got many names, knows how to hike, too. So this all balances out. But um, a French baking class, you went yes. to Paris, but it was about making a croissant. And listen, when you have a choice of a sandwich being on a roll, a bread, a wrap, <laughs> or a croissant, I want the croissant. There is, like, even uh, Christmas, Nancy and I. Breakfast always has croissants on Christmas holiday. Like for us, yeah, a good croissant. I mean, that is a good croissant. <laughs> there's something, and and you have to be very kind to them. You can't, don't you like, like even trying to t- no. There's just there's a there's there's an art to this, and then you went and learned how to make them. I yeah, would be scared.
2: It was in uh, Paris on a recent a recent trip, and uh, uh, my husband had the idea because he likes to bake of taking a uh, cooking class. And I said, let's let's do one for croissants because I love croissants, mm-hmm. good croissants, just like good chocolate, just like mm. good cheese. Oh, and you can but have anyway, chocolate on them. <laughs> yeah, well, you can have pa- you have, you have panna mm-hmm. chocolate. Yes, that's right. But um, mm. La Cuisine Paris was the cooking school, and all their classes are done. In English, so they are geared towards visitors who want to do a kind of short-term class. like theirs was like three hours, and so they have classes on everything, you know, all different kinds of pastries and French sauces and you know poultry dishes. But we did this one on the croissants, and it was it was wonderful. But it really makes you understand that to make a croissant is a very intricate procedure. And mm-hmm. when we asked, you know, the chef said, "What do you think of the three ingredients that?" are important for a croissant, you know, we're, we're trying to think, oh, this, that, and the other. She goes,
0: goes,
2: listen to me, butter, butter, butter. Oh. (laughs) And we're like, and we're like, okay. And she said, yes. And you have to use butter that's comprised of at least 82% fat content. And that's why the croissants in the croissants in France, croissants in Paris, wherever taste so good is because- Do not use margarine. No, no. No, I I think that if you
0: even brought up the word margarine in France, they would kick you out. They would kick you out.
2: Like, well, again, what are you? Where are you? Who are you? You know, it's like plastic. (laughs) There are sixty layers of croissant dough in a croissant, and the process takes forty-eight hours because the dough, as she said, needs to rest after each step. And so, you know, we, we, because our class was only three hours, of course, she prepared some dough ahead of time, but we actually made dough, but it was going to have to go through all this other resting stuff. You know, we weren't going yeah. to be around, but we learned. And it is, it's, it's this whole thing about folding and it's just, it's, it's actually, fairly complex. But when she broke it down, and we did it, it was very doable. And we understood and people felt very confident. Now, of course, whether we can, you know, replicate that process at home is different, especially here in Santa Fe, we have a high altitude considerations for baking, you know, and so, so it it, it would be a challenge. But I I think my husband is up to the challenge, he would like to try it. And I'm all for it. I'm like, yes, go, go,
0: go. Yeah, make the croissants. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, because it is a science is so precise when it comes to baking like you yes. can't slam the, the oven door you can't you know and then the yeast no. has to do this and all that but like yes. 48 yes. hours I didn't know all that you know yes. but yeah I mean and all those processes it good <laughs> it sounds like you went to like a pottery class because you have to wait for like once your pottery is done to go through the kiln and you can get it like a week later you know what I mean it's like that kind yes. of, but yes. do you like doing classes like cooking classes when you travel I- I do, I think they're fun, I really I really mm-hmm. do. I
2: mean, I'm not a huge uh, you know galloping gourmet in the kitchen, but when I take the classes, I really enjoy it because it's it's kind of it's science, but it's also art. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a science, scientific art kind of thing. And there's creativity involved as well. But you have to understand all how all the the processes work and the temperature and all of that and, you know, how something is, how it rises and all all of those those things and taking the classes though give me i don't know they give me a boost in the arm in terms of you know like oh i could really do this you know i could mm-hmm. actually do this and so it it to me it's fun i enjoy it and also i also enjoy kind of the whole class experience and you know especially if the chef the the person teaching it is is uh, fun and you know she inserts interesting you know stories into to the whole thing and she was great she was very 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 charming and uh she was also great because she said you know she was you know she come around and help you and you know she'd want to make sure that you were successful and so it was it, it, was, it was one of those feel-good classes but the most important thing was, was of course we got to have the croissants.
0: See, I love that. I love that you're doing and the the classes to me as for a food, wine, travel writer, right? Yep. Which one came first? The travel, the food or the wine, <laughs> Debbie. Um, <laughs> but as a, you know, as as you go around, um yeah. I think when you do these classes and these tours, because when you do these tours and even just meeting chefs as a as a writer, you start to understand how much work chefs and you know all everybody in the industry does. Whether you're yeah. a winemaker or a chef, or you know maybe you're a, a shaved ice maker. But what are you doing behind it? So you start to understand what questions to ask. What you know, there's. I think when you do these cl- the class parts, that really helps to understand. To for writers to understand more. I think more. so,
2: and I just and I just think for anybody to understand that you know we. Most people, you know, we love the, the end product to anything. And of course, you know, anything that, we, or else we buy something as a piece of jewelry, but we don't understand what goes on behind the scenes to create this marvelous thing or this piece mm-hmm. of food or whatever it is or this wine. And when you do take a class or you do take some type of tour and you understand, you're like, you have a better appreciation for the fact, wow. This really takes time and effort and it takes somebody who has studied and learned and and understands uh, and and has done a lot of trial and error over things. And it's like it gives you, I think, just a better respect for people who are creating whatever Mm -hmm. it is,
0: you know. I agree. I agree. And so it's when you start going to places like I want to go back to this country. Um, There's also things like going to coffee places coffee places cheese making places right um I mean I once turned mozzarella into ricotta cheese and I didn't know there that you could but I did (laughs) which meant I got to eat it earlier um (laughs) so that that's a thing but when you go when you go to places like coffee uh, chocolate places it's a little different and I mean you can do a class for sure but it's interesting to me where they source things, and like going to a roastery and understanding, oh, we get our coffee beans from here. This is the process from here, and this is why we choose this. Um, you or, recently...
2: co- or going to like a coffee a farm where you can see the coffee plants. Yeah, uh, like I did in in Hawaii, for example, the island of Hawaii, and that's you know, right. seeing and even that's actually seeing it from. Okay, this is really the start of it. You know, what are these? What does it look like at its real? essence, you know, and how does it grow and what are the factors that are responsible for that growth and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that to me is, is wonderful when you get to the true, you understand the true farm to table, so to speak.
0: And then you get to taste it like and go to another coffee shop or a roastery and go, I've seen the coffee bean part of it. And this yep. goes here. And then whenever you drink coffee, that that's always kind of, in, to me, in the back of my head, like what people do whenever I eat drink something now it's in the back of my head if I've had that experience and it adds value it makes you slow down and savor A little bit more than what you would do, you you know,
2: and you just have a respect for it. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. understanding about chocolate, about cacao, you know, where does that how is that grown? Where does it come from? Which countries grow this? You know, all that the stages of that and how does it become chocolate and and all of that. And once again, it's you know, there's a very scientific process in there, but it's also an art form. Mm. And, you know, so to me, all of that. I, I don't know. It just, to me, that's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful part of travel, you know, that uh, mm. when you can combine that and, and, or include that instead of just simply going to a restaurant and, and having the food, which is wonderful. But if you can do something a little extra, I think it, I don't know, it just gives you, like I said, a, a whole newfound appreciation for the place and for the food and for the people, you
0: know. You said cacao. I, I just want to keep saying that. It's one of my favorite cacao. It's a good word. But that brings me to the Creole chocolate um, company that you went to in Portland, Oregon. I know you love Oregon. uh, So we have to go back there. And I know you went on cheese tours, cheese uh, farm tours like Tillamook. You went to other cheese cheeseries. Can I say that? I want to use that word. You I want to say like,
2: do you want to use like dairy, cream, <laughs> you know? cream, creamery? Like...
0: I know it's creamery. yes, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. I want to say cheesery because, like, <laughs> I want to own, own a cheesery and winery all in one place yeah. with with yeah. a coffery as well because we need that the next morning. Um, yeah, and a bakery. See, it all rhymes. Yeah. Oh, so gosh. Yes. Um, I know, but Portland is a dangerous city, and the state of Oregon is dangerous for food, wine, beer. All of it. Yeah. And like, when, let's not even forget that Debbie likes the other side of the country on the coast so she can eat lobster um, uh, in Rockland, yes. Maine. Right. So, yes. I mean, your, your foodie experiences, I know, but if there's um, fish, she's going for it versus a steak. We know this. Oh, she's pescatarian. She's like, I'm going in. I want the, you know, <laughs> you know, river to table, the ocean to table. Yep. We want that. Yep um yep. experience because again that's from the land, which is really cool. Absolutely. But the Creole Chocolate Company, tell us a little bit about that. Because this is like um, a family like love. Is. And yeah.
2: It is. Uh the Straub family, Tim Straub and his wife started it and they've been making chocolate, I think, for I don't know, maybe ten years. And, you know, he says it's like chemistry and creativity and their 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 results have won many awards. And uh Creo, I think he said, stood for I believe, I make or create. Um it's in Spanish Mm -hmm. or Latin. I believe, yeah. Mm -hmm. It became a labor of love for them and um They experimented with roasting beans. They experimented with many different, you know, incorporating chocolate into their recipes. And they said, he said that they ate their way through chocolate shops in the country. They went to a lot of cacao farms in Ecuador, which is a country known for for the beans, uh, for some of the best beans in the world. And, um, you know, they found a farm. That had an unusual heirloom variety of cacao uh, with a with a very uh, delicious and he said very complex flavor, and so these are the beans that this company directly sources for its chocolate, and they make bars and truffles and caramels and chocolate covered fruit and chocolate drinks and even skin products like cocoa whipped body butter and chocolate mint lip balm. Yum yum. Okay. Anyway, so so you can take um, a make bar tour, which is. Mm. This wonderful tour where you can learn about where the chocolate come from comes from, how it's basically made, and then you get to design your own chocolate bar so um which is wonderful you know they they have the bars, but you get to design your chocolate bar, so they have all sorts of of different things that you can put in your chocolate bar, and also of course, you can mm. sample all these different wonderful chocolates like dark orange Meyer lemon pie, uh, caramelized oh, white chocolate, stop black it. sesame stop seeds, it, fire spicy monkey dark, whiskey <laughs> milk chocolate. I mean, you know, chocolate made with different chilies. I mean, it's, mm. it's crazy. And so, yeah. And then, you, you know, you get to make your bars and then they, you know, get put into the whatever the, the machine to, to uh, get the ingredients inside of them. And then they come out, voila, and you get to Package them and take them home, and it is definitely a highlight because you can add anything in there. They had toffee and coconut and dried berries and peppermint and sprinkles and yeah. You know, so it's like you can
0: make your goes. own bark too, like yes. that way. Oh
2: yeah, definitely. Ooh. Yeah. So it was what a like, good it gift was too. fun! It is a good gift, and it was fun. I mean, it was such a fun class because once again, it's. Not only knowledgeable, you know, you're inf- informative, but you know, of course, it's tasty, and you know, everybody mm. wants the taste. But they also, in the process of of enjoying the taste, they're also learning something. So it's mm. a fun way. I, I, these types of things are fun ways for people to learn things versus sitting down with a book and reading it, or you know what I mean, yeah. or hearing a lecture and not getting to actually see taste or taste or do anything. I'm a very tactile and a very I'm a, I'm a yeah. you know I use my senses to to learn and I think most people if you can reinforce knowledge with use of the senses you you know it's going to it's going to stay the staying power is great yeah you know
0: it's the same thing like I know we're so digital now but I'm so old school like if I have an online calendar I will never know what I'm doing when I (laughs) have to write everything down because if I write it down I remember it like I know what I'm doing I know it in my head because I wrote it down but if I type something, <laughs> I don't know, it went into the cyberspace, like it sucked it up, and I have no clue, like what I just yep. did. You know what I mean? There's and a weird know, thing about oh, there that. Is,
2: it is a weird, I mean, and people, you know, some people um, learn really well by, you know, the tactile sense, and some people learn really well by, you know, the visual and auditory senses, mm-hmm. and, you know, I mean, we all, and some people have this, you know, real strong, The you know, the taste or the, or, you know, the smell. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, we we have those senses that some people, for some people, those senses are stronger than others, but you know, you give somebody a smell and if it's a smell, they're going to remember it and they're Mm going to say, oh my gosh, I remember smelling that. Or I remember, oh, I remember hearing that song when I was 16 years old, you know, it's it's just one of those things. And so, you know, when you travel, you, you incorporate all of those senses, which is why I think so many times people have so many memorable uh experiences is because they have used all these senses to to really cement those those experiences
1: mm.
0: now i know um i'm going to go back to F2 now as we close up here uh the international food wine travel writers association they have a conference coming up uh, that they do in every october well not every october but every year anyone is in october and they get to cruise from vancouver down to southern california which is very exciting and they're going to definitely have some culinary experiences there but like I said, we first met Debbie through Iftwa. I think you came on one of the Iftwa shows, and that's how we connected uh, in the yep. Sea of Cortez. And you were on a little boat then. And our um, <laughs> latest interview coming up with Debbie is about uh, barge cruising in France. So stay tuned for that uh, coming up the fourth Tuesday of this month. But um, before you go, um, talk about food and wine and travel and Iftwa. How long have you been a member, do you think? I mean, it's been a long time. I can't mm, even it's... It's been. I mean, it's been at Ooh. least six, seven, eight years, maybe? Yeah,
2: maybe. Ten years? Maybe, ten? Maybe ten? I think years. it's over
0: ten. I, I think, think it so is over too. ten. Yeah. I think, I think so. so, too.
2: Yeah. That's yeah. cool. It's, it's, it's nice. It's a nice uh, organization uh, because it does combine those important aspects, you know, the travel, the food, the wine, and um, it's, it's nice uh, to meet other writers who... You know, have various passions. You know, you meet somebody who's just really into wine, and or you meet somebody who's really into food and cooking, and you know, it's 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 a really I like because it's it's inclusive in that in that respect, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they they try to do a lot of. Uh, Educational and informative sessions where you can zoom and uh, you know learn from you know this this wine uh, winery that uh, the owner comes on and talks or this chef or this destination that comes on and and so you can learn all about these different things. So yeah, I I think it's a good organization. I've I've been uh, pleased with it.
0: That's awesome. And you're going on one of their media trips, uh, group trip. I know you do a lot of solo, but this also allows you to have that networking and yeah. um it and this is going to involve food too i believe you're going to have some barbecue in memphis soon yes it's going to involve oh. a whole lot of things but good food is always
2: there in memphis as well as good music and of course you know famous sites and uh yeah i'm really looking forward to it because it's been uh, it's been too long since i've been to memphis
0: awesome awesome so everyone again uh the fire monkey debbie stone is her name the travel writer debbie stone you can also <laughs> follow her on twitter at uh just type in Debbie Stone, you'll find her travel stone. I think your handle is. I just yeah. type it up, it comes up. My my computer knows your computer. Um, <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> but uh, you can also read her stories, Glenn radio and TV.com, nationalparktraveling.com, and various other media outlets. So keep up with her. Follow her Twitter and also LinkedIn. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Iftwall, always fun. Uh you know, doing these shows and chatting with writers and destinations to find out what's going on. Basically, the world is our oyster. We just need to get out there and taste it. So again, uh, the Food, Wine, Travel Writers, uh, International Food, Wine, Travel Writers Association website is ifwtwa.org. Their conference is open to members and non-members. So check that out coming up in October, whether you're a writer or a destination, uh, go check it out. So thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you all for joining us on today's show.